There was a doctor who knew that his patient was a Christian. One day he asked him, looked at this Christian and said, tell me something, I, I can never really understand what you all call saving faith. Explain that to me. A Christian looked at him and said, you know, I, I, I believed a week ago that you were a great physician. I believe that if I put myself in your hands, that I would get better. I would recover from my sickness. I had faith in you. And so for a week, I've been taking these random pills from a bottle that you gave me. I don't know what they do. I don't understand how they work. But I'm trusting in you when you say that they will make me well. Now, when someone turns to Jesus Christ and says, Jesus, Christianity has a lot that I don't understand, but I believe that you are trustworthy. And I choose to trust in you. And I'm giving you my life. That's faith. And it's a simple thing, isn't it? And it's, it's interesting to hear what many people in the world think about faith. Well, a lot of people downplay faith. They call it weak, hopeless, unscientific, uneducated, a crutch. The truth, though, is that everyone has a measure of faith in something in this life. Take, for example, the, the origin of the universe. Well, the world mocks Christianity for putting creation in the hands of an all-powerful God. Yet many of those same people hold to a Big Bang, a sudden beginning of things, millions upon millions of years ago. But they don't agree to its cause. They have many theories on it, each one taking a theory by faith. Or, if refusing to call any of those theories their own, they simply move forward in faith that it happened that way, even though they don't know how. You see, it isn't faith that people have a hard time with. It's faith in God. Because for many people, believing in God, it's, it's too much. It's too difficult. It's too life-altering a decision to make. They would much rather trust in themselves or in other people. And while they claim to be above faith, they're really just exercising it in unworthy things. All these other things are unworthy because there is only one place for our faith to reside, where we can receive the truth that we all so desperately want concerning where we've come from, what our purpose is, and where we're going. It's only when our faith is in the proper place that we won't be confused by the past because we'll have clarity. And we'll be insecure about the present because we'll be cared for, and we won't be fearful about the future because our eternity will be certain. And all these things are true when our faith is found in Jesus Christ. Despite the world's mocking, faith matters most in this life. And as we turn together to John chapter 8, verse 12 this morning, we'll find that where we put our faith will not just determine how we live our lives, but what happens for us at the end of this life. John chapter 8, verse 12, I'd encourage you to turn there. You're following along in your Bible here on campus or at home. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. It says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, 
even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. Here Jesus brings this amazing truth that he is the light of the world. This world is so full of spiritual darkness. And as humans, we arrogantly follow our, our sinful desires. We ignore God. We resist righteousness. And so the light of truth came to us. He pierced through the spiritual darkness all around us to reveal our brokenness. To reveal our desperate state of sinfulness. We, we saw an example of that last week, if you were with us. We saw an example of that when the religious leaders stood before Jesus ready to stone a woman to death. And in just a few short words, Jesus pierced their hard hearts and revealed to them their own sinfulness. And many times we don't even realize how dark it is until a light comes on. Unfortunately, many people prefer to stay in the dark. That's why we saw last week that instead of running to the light to be saved and forgiven, those same religious leaders walked away from Jesus. Jesus is the light who came into the world. He came to bring eternal life. Some people just don't want the light. Like these Pharisees here in chapter 8. And they must have understood Jesus' claim to divinity when he said, I am the light of the world. And maybe they thought of passages like Psalm 27, verse 1, where the psalmist said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? But they didn't see Jesus as the Savior, as the Lord, as the light. So they didn't trust what he said, and they claimed that his personal testimony was invalid. But theirs was a, was a poor argument in this case. Jesus knew where he came from. He was testifying to who he is. They made their biased judgment about him in ignorance. A few weeks ago, we saw the fact that the people had no idea where Jesus was even born. How can they claim his testimony is invalid when they clearly don't know him? Then Jesus reminds them that even the Old Testament law simply required more than one witness on a legal matter. Now, Jesus himself is one witness and the other is the Father. And you might remember that back in John chapter 5, Jesus had a similar conversation. And in John chapter 5, he gave a longer list of those who are witnesses to the fact that he is indeed the Savior of the world. John the Baptist was one. Moses and the Old Testament prophets were others. What they had written in the scriptures confirmed Jesus' identity. He also told them at the time that they could just look at his miracles. They clearly proved that Jesus is the Son of God. Now this time, Jesus simply gives them the two greatest witnesses to who he is. That would be himself and the Father. There's no one greater who can testify to who Jesus is than the Godhead. 
but they didn't trust anything that Jesus said. They didn't believe any of his words, so they did what the world always does. They hid behind their unbelief and they asked for more. You know, more proof, more of this, more before they'll believe your testimony isn't valid. Where's your father? Put forth more evidence. Yet for many people in the world, more evidence will not convince them. For example, there are many people today who claim that Jesus was not a historical figure. That he didn't exist. That he was invented by the authors of the New Testament. But the proof says otherwise. In fact, there are many non-Christians who testify to Jesus' existence outside the Bible. Like Josephus. Josephus, that, that famous first century Jewish historian, he wrote about Jesus, his crucifixion under Pontius Pilate, and the fact that Jesus' disciples proclaimed that he had risen from the dead. Or there's Cornelius Tacitus. He lived during the first and second centuries. He's considered one of the greatest historians of ancient Rome. He also wrote about Jesus and his death under Pontius Pilate. Or there's the Jewish Talmud that also refers to Jesus and his death. There are many sources outside of Scripture from the first and second centuries that refer to Jesus as a historical figure. But it doesn't matter for a lot of people because many people don't care about proof or more testimony because they don't want to believe in the first place. Don't misunderstand, some people will be persuaded by the evidence, but many will not, like the Pharisees here. Maybe that's why Jesus didn't go back through that lengthy list of witnesses he gave in John chapter 5. Instead, he just gives them the two greatest witnesses because he knows they're not looking for truth anyways. And many times, those who doubt the word of God or the words of the Son of God are not actually interested in proof or testimony or more witnesses some who ask for these may genuinely be seeking truth, but more often than not, the cry for these is an outpouring of stubborn unbelief. They didn't believe Jesus' words. And that revealed the bigger issue. They didn't believe who Jesus is. Verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away. And you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. And they did not understand he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Jesus told them that he was going away. 
So it wouldn't be too many months after this that he would be arrested, crucified, and buried. Then he would powerfully rise from the dead before he ascended to heaven. But he said, where I go, you cannot come. You see, despite what many in the world say, and unfortunately, despite what you will hear from many pulpits, the idea that everyone will be saved is not true. Jesus himself said that not everyone will be where he is. And those who cannot go where he is are the ones who stubbornly remain in their unbelief. They will never be in heaven with the Lord. Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, not only did they refuse to believe the words of Jesus, but the biggest issue is they didn't believe who Jesus is. They didn't believe that he's the Son of God, that he's the Savior, that he's the Messiah. No, they, they thought Jesus was a false prophet, that he was a blasphemer, that he was a sinner. And that unbelief results in the just judgment for sin, which is an eternity in hell. They asked him, who are you? Jesus already told them more than once that they were going to die in their sins. And their responses were, what's he going to do, kill himself? And who are you? They were missing the important things. You can practically hear Jesus breathe a deep sigh when he says, just what I told you from the beginning. Jesus has already told them that he's the bread of life, that he's the one who gives living water, that he's the son of man that he is the light of the world. He made it so clear in John chapter 5 that he is equal with the Father that the religious leaders wanted to kill him. He already told them who he is, but they didn't believe. They didn't believe. They didn't believe what he said, so they didn't believe who he is. And that continued unbelief would cause them to be separated from God forever. If you don't believe in who Jesus is, you will never come to him in faith for salvation and forgiveness. You will never believe that he alone has the words of eternal life. Until you are willing to recognize and believe, O sinner, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who took on flesh to die for you and me, until that happens, you are still in your sins. And you will face the penalty and judgment for them. Jesus was not some mere man, some moral rabbi, some good teacher. He is the Son of God. And to deny that is to deny all his words and the salvation that he offers. People have long denied it. Even those who are willing to admit that Jesus existed in history, many of them are still not willing to admit that he is the Savior and the Son of God. For example, there is a man in the 3rd and 4th centuries in the church, this man's name was Arius. And Arius believed that Jesus existed, but he said that Jesus wasn't as great as the Father. In fact, he taught people that Jesus wasn't divine. He was created. The church rightly condemned those teachings. Arius was labeled as a heretic, and he and his false teachings were cast out of the church. Rest assured, Arius, not a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because what did Jesus say? If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. You see, faith in Jesus is what matters most. And people can ask for proof. They can ask for evidence, more testimony, and believers. There is so much in history and archaeology and science in the world that proves and points to God and to the Son of God. But in the end, people must recognize that it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that they will receive eternal life. 
And as Christians, we should be prepared to defend our faith with the rich storehouses of evidence and truth that God gives us. But the end goal is always to point people to faith in Jesus. It's only when we come to Jesus, the Son of God, in faith for forgiveness and salvation, that we are saved. And those who choose to stay in their unbelief, they will die in their sins and be separated from God forever. See, people downplay faith in life. They think that it's unimportant, it's weak, that it's foolish. They don't understand that faith matters most. And the truth that we need to understand this morning is that where our faith resides in this life will determine where we reside after this life. Where our faith resides in this life will determine where we reside after this life. In other words, where our faith is, is the difference between us after this life being where Jesus is or dying in our sin. Only faith in Jesus, the Son of God, can save us. So the question is, where do we go from here? For those of us who do believe in Jesus, we've come to him in faith for forgiveness and salvation. I think there are two practical responses for us this morning. The first, the first is to make sure to demonstrate our belief by obeying Jesus. By obeying the things that he says. It's a strange thing when Christians say that we believe in, in who Jesus is and in all the things that he says, and then we ignore what he says and we live like the rest of the world. Our faith should be evident in our actions. We believe in him, we should follow and obey him. Jesus said in verse 12, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We believe in him, that should be evident as we walk in the light of his truth, not in the darkness of sin. And believers, the second response for us is to reach those who are still in unbelief. Bring them the truth, bring them the logic, bring them the evidence, and then bring them to the only one who can save them. That's Jesus Christ. Because it's only through faith in him that we're saved. And maybe you're joining us, and you know that you have never made that decision. You have never put your faith in Jesus. You know that you've never come to him for salvation. If that's you, please understand that no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how much you have failed, no matter how much you have disappointed yourself or others, despite all these things, please hear again what Jesus said. He said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. You'll notice that Jesus didn't say, if you do not do enough good works, you will die in your sins. He didn't say, if you don't go to church enough. He didn't say, if you don't join First Baptist Church of Oxford. Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Please understand, if you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, that receiving forgiveness from God isn't about what we can do. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for me and you. He took the penalty and punishment for sin that we deserve. And he rose from the dead and is standing in heaven right now, waiting to offer you forgiveness and salvation. The question is, do you believe who he is? And are you willing to come to him in faith and give him your life? Would you pray with me? If you have never made that decision, please, please understand that whether you're here with us, whether you're listening online, wherever you are, Jesus Christ is waiting for you. He died for you. And right now, you can go to him for forgiveness and salvation. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friend, if you have never done that, 
please know that right now you can go to Jesus Christ in prayer. And he'll hear you. And you can go to him and admit that you know you're a sinner. That you know he died on the cross for your sins. You believe he didn't stay in the grave, but that he rose from the dead. You believe he is the only one who can save you. He's the Savior and the Son of God. You can give him your life. I promise you on the authority of God's word, he'll save you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone who has never made that decision, that today they would come to Jesus in faith. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who put our faith in Jesus, convict us of the places in our lives where we're not listening to what Jesus has said. We're not obeying your commands. I pray in those areas we would confess those sins to you and then we'd get right back on track, diligently living for you. And Father, for all of us who have received salvation, bring someone into our lives this week that we can share the gospel with, we can share that rich truth with, and that we can point to Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. But you proved 2,000 years ago when you sent your son that you love us so much more, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing together. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Choir practice at 5 o'clock on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. We have an adult Bible study, youth group, prayer meeting at 6 o'clock on Wednesdays. Don't forget if you want to volunteer for VBS, uh, that's next Sunday, immediately following both services. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the message we've heard. Thank you for speaking through Pastor Andrew, Lord, and through the text of your word. We thank you that you are the Almighty the living God. We thank you, Lord, that you rose from the grave. We thank you that you've given us a choice to accept you and have eternal life. Lord, I pray if someone who is here today or watching or listening has not made that choice, that they would do that even right now, to choose to believe in you as their Savior. Father, protect us as we go. Lead, guide, and direct us. Lord, help us to witness to someone this week. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.